Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? That's more Rocket Ajax to bring back his body. Hello, everybody, and welcome to War Rocket Ajax. This is the internet's most explosive comic book and pop culture podcast. And this week, I am your host. My name is Matt Wilson. And 
no, Chris Sims is not here this week. He is not feeling well. And so I am flying solo. We're going to get to the interview pretty quick this episode, I think. It might be a little shorter than a typical episode. But you're going to want to hear my interview with Jesse Sharon. Jesse is the creator of a book that is funding right now on zoop.gg. It's called The Other Happy Place, Chapter Zero. It is a very cool horror art book that is the first step in a multimedia project that Jesse is working on that seems extraordinarily cool. And you're going to hear her talk all about it when I get into the interview. But I do want to take care of a little bit of business before I get into the interview segment of the show. We're not going to do the typical thanking of our Patreon patrons this time around. We'll talk about what was at 630 Gimmick Street next week when Chris is back. But you can head over to patreon.com slash warrocketajax and kick in as little as $1 per month to make sure that we do this show every week, every story ever monthly, movie fighters and snack situation, comics catch up. All of those shows are made possible by your support at patreon.com slash warrocketajax. And you get all those shows completely ad-free as a patron. And you also... Help us keep paying those gimmicks they keep sending in the mail called bills. I don't say it as much as Chris does, so (laughs) I stumble over it just a little. You can also get, as a patron, bonus content. That includes bonus audio that we record. Sometimes it's outtakes or stuff that I cut out of the show that uh, just won't fit into the weekly episode that we put online as bonus audio. Sometimes we record bonus audio specifically for Patreon, but uh, there is bonus audio over there. There is also bonus writing. Chris does video game reviews, and I've done some writing over there on the Patreon that you can check out. There's also other cool stuff, including line-stepping privileges for our current segments, including Every Story Ever and right now Thursday Night Raw. And uh, you can as well get physical rewards. I, as I've mentioned, am just about to send over the design for the 2023 Patreon exclusive t-shirt. So keep an eye out for that. And I'll hopefully get the designs for the last couple of t-shirts up on our T Public store, which has not gotten a lot of love lately, so maybe I'll get over there on T Public and uh, and get that going. But thank you to everyone who supports us over on Patreon. If you can support us on Patreon and currently don't, uh, we would really appreciate it. Again, Patreon.com/slash/WarRocketAjax. You can also help us out in other ways. If you can't help us out monetarily. You can leave us a five-star review on the podcasting app that you use. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you want to leave us five stars on one of those places, that would be a big help. You can also just tell your friends about the show. Spread the word. Get the word out. The bad website is especially bad now, uh, worse than ever. So if you want to send something out into the ether on Twitter, I guess you can. But 
if you use some other social media app or if you just see your friends in person, tell them about the show, and uh, that would be a big help. No formal checks and recs this week. I'll just say, checking in on uh, my Zoop crowdfunding project of my own for Imposter Syndicate, the first two issues of that comic, with Rodrigo Vargas. Things are going pretty well over there. As of this recording, we are roughly $125 away from the first stretch goal at $8,000, which will add a few more pages to the book. Uh, I hope that before this episode goes up, we'll have hit that stretch goal and be on the way to stretch goal number two. But uh, either way, if you haven't backed the Imposter Syndicate crowdfunding campaign on Zoop, and you can, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. If you have already backed, or you can't, you just can't scrape together uh, the cash to do it right now, spreading the word about that campaign would also be a big, big help uh, if you could make that happen. As of this recording, as I'm recording this right now, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you all. The number has not moved in approximately 48 hours, and it's making me sweat. It's making me nervous. It's making me anxious. So help me move the number. Uh, it, I feel good when the number moves. So if you could do that, uh, that would be a big, big help, uh, and I would really appreciate it. It, As I said, it has gone really well, and uh, I cannot complain. I think by the time this episode goes up, we'll have roughly 10 days left on the campaign. So any help to rally in the last 10 days or so of the campaign would be fantastic. I will talk to you about some comics. We won't do a full comics review seg segment this week, but how about I tell you about a couple of comics that came out this week. First off, I want to mention Harley Quinn, number 28, from Dawn of DC, the Dawn of DC line of uh, sort of relaunches that are going on over there at DC right now. The main story is pretty fun. It's by Teeny Howard. It's Teeny Howard's debut on the book with art and colors by Sweeney Boo. And it is extraordinarily colorful and uh, a very fun story with Harley and Two-Face. But uh, I really, really want to mention the backup story by Erica Henderson in this issue, in which Erica makes Harley Quinn, as well as uh, Poison Ivy and... Catwoman into Magical Girls. It is a Harley Quinn Magical Girl story, and it's extremely fun and extremely good. Uh, Erica wrote and drew that story, so if you have not checked that out, that backup is incredibly fun. The main story is really good too, but uh, the backup is an absolute hoot, and I think something quite a few listeners of this show will be. Uh, very interested in. Also want to mention Clobberin' Time, the new series from Marvel, uh, by Steve Scrose, doing the story and art with uh, colors by Brian Valenza. Steve Scrose is someone who has been around for a very long time and whose name I have been familiar with for quite a few years. I really mostly remember him from like Late 90s Spider-Man. That's where I really first knew about 
uh, Steve Scrooge because he was doing Amazing Spider-Man at the time. But this book is essentially a reboot, a restarting of Marvel 2-in-1. It's a Thing team-up book, and next issue he's going to team up with Wolverine, but this issue he teams up with Hulk, and in it, a character who is wearing a combination Iron Man-Doctor Doom armor suit, who I'm sure we will see more of as the series goes on, uh, transports the Thing and the Hulk to an alternate dimension where the the good people, the, the good alternate dimension folks, are being subjugated by horrible demons. And of course, the Thing and the Hulk fight those demons, thousands and thousands and thousands of them. It reminds me of the recent work of Daniel Warren Johnson that's current War Rocket Ajax Intercontinental Champion, Daniel Warren Johnson. These aren't necessarily wrestling moves in this issue, but it's definitely lovingly rendered, incredibly violent fights against hundreds, if not, if not thousands, of uh, characters on the page. Um, and and it's just a bunch of fun. And uh, the next issue is going to be, like I said, a team-up with Wolverine and... Uh, I am looking forward to that as well. Um, I I do have to mention though, there's something about the thing having like actual wounds on his rocks that is unsettling. There, that is a a thing that emerges in this issue, and it is somehow more distressing to look at than just regular wounds and cuts. I'm not sure why. Uh, one last book I want to talk about before I get into the interview with Jesse is Unstoppable Doom Patrol number one uh, by Dennis Culver and Chris Burnham. I read what I guess essentially amounted to the zero issue of this in the Lazarus Planet special, one of the Lazarus Planet specials. But this is the first full issue, and it is entirely Doom Patrol. It is as Doom Patrol as it gets, with a few small changes. One of them being that Jane is now the leader of the team, and so she's taken on a whole different sort of tack in this version of Doom Patrol, even though she's still doing you know, different personalities that show up. And also, this version of the Doom Patrol kind of has a new mission. They're they're out looking for weirdos, for meta-human weirdos, to either kind of recruit or save from terrible predicaments. And I think that is super fun. There's a great scene in this issue where Robot Man is talking to the giant monstrosity that they've tracked down, and is trying to convince him like, Hey, we're here to help you and we want to give you a better life. But also that, that entity doesn't quite react as expected. Uh, but it, it's very fun. And I, I like that direction for the doom patrol to be like, 
we're not going to fight the big monsters, the big weirdos. We're going to try to either recruit them or help them as best we can. I think that's great. And and Batman kind of shows up as the representative of you know, the typical superhero approach of like we've just got to take down the bad guy. And Jane says, "No, we're not going to do it that way. We're not going to do it your way. We're going to do it our way." Because that's what we do as the Doom Patrol now. And I th- I think it's extremely cool uh the the way that that sets that up. Also, uh, there's a new member of the Doom Patrol, Beast Girl, uh, like Beast Boy, but she's got a very funny, very good spin on Beast Boy's powers that uh, I enjoyed, and I think anyone listening to this will as well. Uh, it's It's exactly the kind of weird superhero comic stuff that I love and is really in the spirit of uh, the Morrison Doom Patrol. I, I Some recent takes on Doom Patrol, you know, not all of them, obviously. The Gerard Way take on Doom Patrol was as weird as any. But some recent takes on Doom Patrol to make them more superhero-y don't, I think, really nail what works about Doom Patrol. And this finds a really nice middle ground between so weird it can't even really be a DC comic anymore and like two run of the mill superhero-y the doom patrol has like matching costumes and stuff but they're still invested in weirdness and that's what i want from a doom patrol comic so highly recommended the new doom patrol series from Dennis Culver and Chris Burnham with that i have talked about comics i have done sort of a check it's time to get to my interview with Jesse Sharon. Joining us for the program this week is someone uh, who is a new friend. Here on War Rocket Ajax, uh, a first-time guest, which we haven't had a ton of lately, uh, so it's very fun to welcome someone new onto the show, and it is also someone who is right now running a campaign on Zoop, a crowdfunding campaign on Zoop That's for right. a very interesting-looking comic called The Other Happy Place Chapter Zero. Yep, Jesse Sharon is here. Jesse, welcome. To the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's really great to be here. Now, Jesse, I I would be remiss if I didn't mention that we have campaigns running concurrently on yes, Zoom. Yes, I see that. I see that right now. Almost. <laughs> I think yours started a day the day before mine did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just want to congratulate you and uh, give you the biggest possible props for absolutely showing me up in every possible way. <laughs> it's not a competition. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't want to make it a competition. Uh. And, then, and then here we are. No, you're doing great over there. And I'm very excited for you and for the book. It, uh, it looks incredible. 
Thank you so much. You're doing great too. Yours looks really fun. I, I was looking at it before when you were talking to me. I was looking at it before. I just really love the cover. That pink and purple and that teal has a great pow. I really dig it. Yeah. Yes, it's uh, it's it's very cool. But yeah, this isn't about me. This is about. Oh, you're right. You're right. All right, let's talk. This about is me about then. you and uh, <laughs> and the other happy place. Now, the the Zoop guys were mm-hmm. nice enough to send over a PDF of. The first pass of the Mm -hmm. book, and I've I've looked through it several times, and it is very much a mood. uh, (laughs) The other happy place. Uh, Now, this is just this is an art book, sort of like an intro to the world. Yeah, for what will eventually be a narrative story. Is that right? Yes, exactly. My goal for the story is I want to do three different formats and uh, following three different storylines in the same world. But I'm trying to hone my my attention span and do one at a time. Uh, but uh, currently, it's the art book is like the think of it like a pitch bible. It's like here's the whole concept. Here's what the world looks like. I have a, it's going to have little snippets of lore, um, a little bit about like my thought process of how I designed the world and what I'm thinking about with it. But the uh, the next thing I'm working on is a uh, RPG, like a top down RPG of the character Vinny in an art museum in the other happy place. And uh, and the other thing is a comic book, and uh, that's uh, concerning the character Mr. Smiles before he became Mr. Smiles when he was a character named Julian. He used to be, at least part of him used to be a human man. So I want to show how he got to be so very sinister and strange yeah so the three different formats are tabletop uh, rpg comic no, book sorry top oh, okay. uh, a, a rpg computer game i said top oh. down because i meant that you're looking down at it I, i'm learning terms it's going to be pixel art so okay <laughs> yeah sorry i i misspoke my bad I'm, I'm, I'm used to the world of comics so i'm still learning a lot of uh video game terms no, I, my, I guess yeah. i guess i just my my head goes straight to books mm-hmm. so i thought oh a tabletop rpg yeah but it's a, but it's a video game that's really cool yeah yeah i i really like all like visual narrative formats so like i've always wanted to try doing a game and my friend uh kaylin who's uh, a brilliant writer and she works on the game caves of could and uh she's helping me make it into a game and i'm really excited it's gonna be really cool and i'm really excited about the comic too i i have some ideas of how i want to experiment with the comic format which is why i say like narrative project because it is going to be in a comic i want it to be a book form but my other goal is to um put it out in an animatic format so i just put up a sample of that the other day um two of my friends uh really great actors uh did the voice acting for it and i added sound and uh music and i put it out as a just like a one minute video proof of concept kind of thing and i was really excited i was like yes this is what i want it to be like i can i can do it like a comic and I can show it as a video if I want to. And I, 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 it's really fun. It's really fun to have people read your words out loud. It's exciting. Yeah. But yeah, uh, the, the Other Happy Place Chapter Zero is an art book. It's like 50 pages, very detailed art. Um, and it, I just wanted to like give you a like a hors d'oeuvre platter of what the world of The Other Happy Place is. <laughs> that's, what, that's what my goal is with The Other Happy Place art book. Yeah. I, I don't want this to sound... Like I'm saying, it's it's anything more or less than it is, but it is a vibe. It is very very much a vibe, and I like it's it's a kind of horror that I really 
connect with and and find super cool. And and I want to get into some of that in a minute, but oh, I'd love to. You mentioned a couple of characters mm-hmm. earlier, and I, I want to talk about them before we get into kind of like the horror vibe of the book. Sure. So there's there's Vinny who yes. you mentioned, who is kind of like the the audience filter character, the person through whom the audience can sort of experience and understand the world of the book. Yeah, she's... Uh, uh, so tell us about her. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, you could also think of her as your classic horror trope of the final girl. She's, you know, she's our person we're following into hell, essentially. I think of her a lot of uh, as a kind of Alice in Wonderland or, like, um, even, like, a Narnia kind of thing where it's like you're going into this other place and it's very fascinating and strange and and maybe you're very curious and uh she that's probably her prevailing personality trait is she's deeply deeply curious so she's um i've always liked lovecraft protagonists that have like um they're drawn to something and they can't not know like you really don't want to read the necronomicon it's bound in human skin right but it's like (laughs) But wouldn't you kind of want to read it? The more you know, you shouldn't. The more you know that it'll have some information that will fundamentally change how you think. The more you're like, I kind of want to, I, me anyway, I personally feel like that, like that pull of like, what is that? So like Vinny as a character, she's um, 27. She lives at home with her family. She has very, very bad depression to the point that it's a disability. She has like a hard time getting out of bed sometimes, Uh, but her she's not hopeless. She's fascinated by life. She's just kind of given up on herself, but she's still like, she's, uh, she's deeply into the X-Files. She wants aliens to be real. Uh, she'll read like, you know, all those, uh, conspiracy, not, not bad conspiracies, but like, you know, the government's hiding UFOs kind of stuff. She's into that. And it's like, it's because she's hoping there'll be something bigger than herself that she'll get to find. And she doesn't know what that is. She's open to it being anything. So when she starts like, peering into this other place it's like she's drawn to it like a kind of like a moth to a flame unfortunately uh with my butterfly imagery but like i uh I, she's not as much based on me as, as people sometimes assume because it's like we're, we're both curvy girls and i also have depression but like i want her to be distinctly different from myself like to me i actually am relating more personally to the character of julian who ends up becoming mr smiles but i I really like the idea of making a protagonist that has mental health issues and is the good guy instead of it's so often in horror where a person with mental health issues is the villain or this like scary outsider factor, but it's really common to have mental health issues and it's okay. It's like, I have them, a lot of my friends have them and it's becoming more that people are able to talk about it. And I was like, wouldn't it be kind of fun if the main character in a horror story had mental illness in some capacity? And she's like, it's it's rough when you when you have depression because people are like oh that defines you it's like it, it's part of her and she doesn't reject it but she wants she wants something to give her hope that's what she's looking for I would say that's her prevailing characteristics. Well, it's yeah. it's it's also I, I think as fans of horror, mm-hmm. you know, people who are into horror are both terrified by these images of of you know incredible hard to understand grotesque things right yeah yeah but at the same time there's a fascination to uh, to, with it and attraction to it it's it's 
it's interesting to look at. It's it's new and in a weird way kind of beautiful. Yeah, so it like, pulls at you. It pulls at yeah. you. Yeah. So so her reaction being not just to be horrified, not yeah. just to be put off mm-hmm. by this world. I think like one might assume at first that's unusual or strange, but it, it, I think it kind of makes her more like the audience at large. That is exactly. sort of, a, there's a push and pull. You get it. You get it. That's what I'm, that's what I'm going for. Cause like, I want that, like, cause obviously if you're a reader and you're reading a horror story, you have some personal curiosity about what's going to happen. So yeah. to have a character who's prevailing, uh, main interest is curiosity and like the more things are weird the more she wants to know it's like um it's fun because it's like uh a lot of times in a a horror story the horror character has to be very reactive but this is makes her have like a driving force it's like she wants something so it's fun to mess with in a horror setting um and she has like a under an undercore toughness which i like bringing out so yeah well i'll get to bring out soon (laughs) right yeah but but back to what you're saying about you know the the lead character having mental illness and that and yeah. that being you know not something that makes her a villain. Yeah. Um, I you know I not to say that everyone who is a huge horror nerd necessarily is mentally ill, but like there is that sense of wanting to kind of peer beyond what we know yeah. and look at something that's under the surface to kind of like understand it better. Cause I, I think, you know, people, depression is sometimes described as like this kind of just like low drone of Mm -hmm. sameness. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if there's something like different and cool, even if it's malevolent, it's it's going to it's also going to have that attraction, right? Is is that it's something you're literally, you're literally yes? Like um, like I call it like the gray, and I'm like nothing is getting through the gray. One of the first things that got through the gray when I had a really bad depressive episode was um the movie Hellraiser, and mm. I was like I've I still to this day have never seen anything else like it. It's so unique. It's so weird. It's so stylish. It's so queer. It's so uh, punk it's gritty it's gross it's sexy and it's uncomfortable and I had no idea where it was going it from moment to moment and I was like uh, and the main character like it's not Kirsty Cotton for most of the movie it's Julia Cotton her evil stepmother and she's having this terrible time her ex-lover has come back to life and he's all unskinned and he's like you have to murder people so that I can come back to life and she's like okay and like it's it's harrowing and like but it it drew it like it felt like it had a flavor after weeks of everything just tasting like paste and i was like whoa whoa this is reaching me and i was like and ever since then i I kind of fell in love with horror because it was like at least it's not boring like the boredom is very painful almost to me it's like um when your mind is just all gray, you just don't have any differentiation between anything else. So it's like, Oh, this is like a, this is exciting. It's fun. So yeah, I kind of, I, you know, obviously when you're an author, you put parts of your heart into all of your characters. So like that is, you know, my, my chunk of heart that I've given to Vinny for sure. Yeah. Are you kind of representing that in the art? Cause, cause in the art book, at least, 
you, you talk about the gray, like all everything is grayscale except for these bursts of of color of of the teals and reds and yellows. Yeah. That are represented by the butterflies and the caterpillars and and what you might, you know, call the kind of grotesque parts. Yeah. But, uh, so but those everything- are the parts where the beauty and color is. Yes. So everything in color in that world that you see is stuff that is directly touched or affected by the entities, uh, which I call them the butterflies or the entities. They're not actually butterflies. They're from another dimension. So everything that you see in color in the pictures is stuff that's literally touched or affected by the entities or um, literally uh, the entities themselves or how they're presenting themselves. Uh, They're not honest creatures. So they want to present this uh, intense level of beauty and uh, and how they think of themselves is very beautiful and advanced. So they want to, prov- they're showing you an ideal of themselves. But, um, but they, you know, I, <sighs> hard to explain, but when I started drawing in black and white and I was experimenting, uh, because I like black and white and horror, I've always liked black and white uh, in general because I really love, you know, uh, German expressionism films like The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. I love 1940s movies and uh, the quality of light in those movies is really beautiful. So I was literally doing uh, studies of, you know, I'd, I'd freeze frame a movie, an old movie, and I'd, I'd try to study it. And um, I'd go like, frame, like as close as I could duplicate it with digital painting and as I was doing that I uh, I just started splashing overlays of color and when I did that like it immediately popped in my head it, it looked so strong and pretty and unique and I was like oh oh okay I can that um what I when artistically I, I go very much by vibes and mood that's why I get excited when when people are like I love the mood it's such a vibe because I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to evoke a mood I really think a lot about that so for me as an artist usually what happens is I'll just start messing around with something and then uh, I'll feel a connection, a little spark. And as soon as I splashed red, I liked it. And I was like, what if I added more? And I was like, yellow, blue. And that was enough. I was like, don't, don't put in green. Don't put in, it's too much. And um, as soon as I did that, I immediately was like excited. And I was like, okay, every time I feel excited and I get this like little burst of joy in my chest, it's like a little thrill. And I'm like, okay, that's yes, that's something. The same thing happened when I, when I first started, I knew I wanted to have these ideas of these uh, creatures invading our bodies. I'm really into body horror and cosmic horror. And I was like, um, I was like, okay, so what's scary? Uh, obviously, I really, I have always been very afraid of centipedes, even more than spiders or scorpions. Uh, I think centipedes just look deadly. So I was like, okay, I really like that. But um, I was looking at bugs and I was like, what would be really unique in horror? And I was like, a butterfly is beautiful. Uh, and wouldn't that be an interesting symbol of deceptive danger? And as soon as I started drawing them, it like, I felt my my own brain light up. I was like, oh, this is fun. This is exciting. Uh, my personal rule for myself is to make something I'd be excited to see on the shelf. Uh, I always say, if you can do that, you'll never lose at anything because even if no one else likes it, you made yourself a toy that you get to play with forever. So like, uh, I always say there's a power in being artistically self-indulgent because you can find this like core energy to what you're doing and you could keep going, going, going this little fuel of um, like (laughs) pleasure, essentially. That's what I think about it. But yeah, um, I've gone way off track. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I, I love to hear that kind of like creative thought process stuff because it's, 
it's always interesting to hear how people arrive at these ideas, like creative people yeah. <laughs> get to them. Cause I know from my perspective, looking through the book mm-hmm. and, and seeing the art, I perceived all these potential influences, things that I've seen and know, you know, things that I think may have. I'd love to know what other people think is influencing it. (laughs) I'm I'm curious. Yeah. I can tell you in a a minute, but I don't want to, I don't want to affect anything you say. I'm because you mentioned cabinet of Dr. Caligari and, and yeah, those older movies, I do wonder if there's any specific sort of source material that or 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 influence that you're pulling from with what you're doing here or or if it was that kind of like a to b to c to d sort of thinking that you were getting at just a second ago well, so it's kind of like hmm, that's such an interesting question. It's kind of like. If the way my brain works is I'll, I'll feel something is cool, like the black and white, and then I'll start, my brain starts circling around it and being like, what else about this is fun, right? So it's like, okay, I like this German expressionism movie. I like the black and white. Uh, so I'm like, what else do I like that's scary in black and white? The Twilight Zone. And then you start looking at Twilight Zone episodes, and you're like, okay, that's uh-huh. like, and then you're looking at Rod Sterling, and you're like, I really like Rod Sterling. He's so cool the way he just like comes in and gives a fun little speech, and he's wearing that suit. He looks handsome. I'm like, what if I made kind of a Rod Sterling guy? Could I have a Rod Sterling guy in my story? And then I'm like, okay, so if I had this charming dap guy how do I make him scary what if the top half of his head was gone and replaced with spider legs you know that's how I kind of I like uh I almost feel like I'm extrapolating or like spinning or like pushing around clay until it becomes things I I'm a vast collector of influences I love all sorts of things like obviously Clive Barker Junji Ito um uh, Tsuguru Tanaka he's this uh, digital painter who makes these really fantastic landscapes that look like they're made of blood and meat they're just they're wonderful um like Guillermo del Toro um his uh like his like entire like if you watch Hellboy one and two, I just really love the way the lighting looks in those movies. It has like this glow that like hangs on objects and everything is very tactile. Like it feels like that has a texture to it. Um, like another really big influence is um, brutalist architecture. So like I'll look at brutalist architecture for hours and I'll save images and I don't save images of like perfect reference. I save an image anytime it makes me feel an emotion. So uh, if, if it if if I feel a, a like a pulse of like fear or like oh that's imp- that gives me a feeling of awe, that's an image I'll save. So it's like I almost am influenced more by like snapshots than like an entire project or person. But it's like um, it's a million billion things. I, I uh, there's a book called Steal Like an Artist, and he's he talks about how um, I think it's Austin Cleon, Steal Like an Artist. He talks about how like um, everybody has like their core influences, and um, that you can keep adding to that infinitely. I don't know if I 100% agree with his like um, uh, statement, but I, it was interesting to think about because it's like when I was reading, it, I was like, oh, that's true, and I was like. Well, uh, 
what are my influences? And so I literally wrote them down. I was like, like Guillermo del Toro, uh, uh, Mike Mignola, Junji Ito, uh, um, H.P. Lovecraft, you know, uh, Stephen King, Clive Barker, uh, uh, Swamp Thing by Alan Moore, uh, Animal Man by uh, Grant Morrison, like all these things I liked. And then I would literally look up who their heroes were. And then I read their work too. So like, that's how I found out about Kazuo Omezu, who is like this fantastic manga author in the 70s. And he was a huge influence on Junji Ito. And once you start putting, I almost picture my brain like a big monster and I'm just feeding it things and it'll make something. If I feed it enough things, <laughs> the monster's <laughs> hungry, but I can feed it. I can, it'll grow. It's exciting. So yeah. Um, yeah. I don't well, I don't think that answered your question at all. <laughs> you did. You, abso- okay. you absolutely did. I, cause okay. I, I'll tell you while I was kind of perusing the art, I definitely thought of, Del Toro, mm-hmm. my mind kind of went to like Pan's Labyrinth kind of. Oh, I love the, Pan's Labyrinth. That was the singular. bursts of color. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Like the um, richness of the colors. Yeah. So fantastic. The blues were so blue. The golds were so gold. Like it's, I don't know like what he's doing with the color grading, but it's like edible. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I uh, fully agreed. And so I, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about, um, to, to to a degree, Junji Ito, mm-hmm. uh, with sort of like the body horror of it all. But, he also has but like also, a commitment to beauty. I feel like yeah. in his work, that's why sometimes it's so viscerally scary. Is he can draw so beautifully and then really mess up that thing he just drew. <laughs> yes. Um, but also Cronenberg. Oh, Cronenberg. That's a fun one. Yeah. Like the thing, um, uh, uh, for sure. The, uh, you know, what is my, uh, uh, no, sorry. The Cronenberg is not the thing. The Cronenberg is, isn't it? No, wait. Yeah. Uh, John Carpenter is the thing. Who Carpenter did? was the thing. Yeah. Cronenberg, Cronenberg was like, uh, Videodrome. Yes. Yeah. Like Videodrome and Existence. Existence. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, sorry, but a bad horror Jesse mixing up two names immediately. They both have big, <laughs> gross, like orifice monsters, though, like all things yeah. burrowing into other things and coming out. Yeah, I, uh, I love Videodrome. Uh, that has a lot of holes. Like Cronenberg um, has a lot of things about holes opening up in the body, and then like yeah. things going in and out. Like Existence has like the uh, the video game that you <laughs> that you get plugged into your spine after getting a piercing at a gas station. Great, good. Don't do that. Um, and uh, and then Videodrome has the guy grow like a chest orifice that he puts a VHS in, and then he puts his hand in, and it, he takes it out, and it becomes a gun. It's yeah. Uh, I Cronenberg's uh, like very tactile body horror is something I definitely think about a lot. That's a good catch. I, I think like it's like that kind of thing is like I think a lot of things influence me, and I don't categorize them as on purpose. It's just like yeah. it's soaked in. I'm a fan, so it's there. It's like, yeah. And and then the the other thing that I couldn't help but think as I was looking through, and uh, like I don't want to boil it down to being like it's this thing because you're doing it in so many different media. But the <laughs> fact that you are the but the fact that you are ultimately going to make a video game out of this like made something click into place in my head because s- some of these creatures like uh the tick dog yeah or the chatterfish mm-hmm. look like 
a monster from a survival horror game or or something from like a from software game Ooh, like silent hill maybe yeah like silent hill or or even like some monster you might come across in in bloodborne or or a dark souls game yeah so i i don't play a ton of games not because i don't find it awesome it's literally because with my personality i can feel myself if I started playing, I would not want to stop. I would not stop uh-huh. to draw. I would not stop to write. I would not, it would eat me. <laughs> so a lot of times how I end up taking in games is I love let's players. So I love to like, especially ones that just like let the story happen. I can absorb it. I like to look at the art. Um, but uh, I, I've actually probably, probably, mm, probably my biggest visual influence from that world would probably be the Silent Hill movie, even though it, that was okay. really controversial. <laughs> like it's not considered like, that great of a film it's really pretty and um i i loved how distinct of a place silent hill feels like and that's something i definitely think about a lot when i'm when i'm making the other happy places like i don't want to copy silent hill but i want it i as as much of the fact that silent hill is a character in the games of the location the world the way it works the way uh things corrode that's like that is the setting and it's so flavorful. I really want to do that thing with the other happy place, but I want it to be its own. But um, I definitely like, uh, but like the body horror of a lot of those games, the way things move, I think about a lot. I love watching like how uh, really awful monsters ambulate. Like it's not even walking. Like there's, um, there's this creature in Silent Hill and it like has two big heavy forearms and it like wonks its front arms forward and then drags its body forward. And it's, it's yeah. so awful and so specific and i love it it's like ah i really love specific specific things and that's what i think jinji ito is good at too he's like isn't this thing awful here's exactly what it would look like here's exactly how it works here's exactly how it would feel like he 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 really has this approach of like slowing down and showing you literally viscerally with detail this awful thing and it's something i think about a lot i like i would like in my story as it goes i would like somebody to be able to be like oh i know exactly how awful this situation would be or how weird or what would i do because that's one of my favorite games is like mentally when you're watching something scary it's like even if you know you would not survive right it's like oh how would i how would i react in this situation what would i do and it's i love that that, that grippableness to horror to me, how it lingers in your head. Yeah. As a fan of the Silent Hill games and having seen at least one of those movies, I don't remember <laughs> if I saw both of them, but I know I saw the first one. The thing that they did not get wrong in the movies was the art design. The art, the art design, design is, was immaculate. It's lovely. It's like, good. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm not a fan. Like, you guys, you played it. So I'm like, what do I know? But I just thought it was very beautiful. That's what I really liked about it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's pretty true to the game. It's, okay. it, it's, the, it's the story that sort of veers off. But, the, yeah, the look of it, I, I remember being, like, really uh, well done. So it's, yeah. it's, it is pretty true to the game, uh, probably, probably the creature that, like, I would say out of all of that stuff that influenced me the most was um, probably the, one of the first monsters you see in the Silent Hill movie. Uh, the, the main character and the female cop uh, are, are approaching the town and um, a like a, a, a two-legged flesh thing 
that looks vaguely human shaped, but wrapped in its own skin, just starts moaning and like walking towards yeah. them jerkily. And then it, it gets shot and it looks like it's already in pain. Like it doesn't look like it's fun to be that creature. And then uh-huh. when it gets shot, it spews out blood that is acidic. So it's melting stuff. And I was like, it was so awful and so confusing that my brain just exploded. I was like, uh, the idea of like, you could kind of tell that it was probably once human, something inexplicable outside of all human understanding has reshaped it and it's not having a good time. However, it is deeply dangerous. And I was, I was blown away by that. I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, I'm not as into like horror where it's just like, what if a guy stabbed you? That's not like, that's, that happens in real life. I'm not that like drawn to that as much, but I love horror and sci-fi and fantasy when it's like, this is a thing outside of all human experience. However, you have to deal with this now. And I think about that a lot. That's something I really want to evoke in the other happy place. As the story goes on, I want the reader to feel like the more information they get, the worst, the worse off they are. Like, it's like, this is like, oh, this is some vital information. This will help me. Except no, it's more dangerous now that you know this. Jesse, we need to get to listener questions in a second, but I do have one last thing before we get to listener questions, because we've sort of talked around Mr. Smiles. Yes. Uh, We talked about, you know, him being kind of like a Rod Serling sort of character or or inspired by Rod Serling a little bit. Yeah. And uh, we've talked about him sort of being the, the lead of the, the comic that's coming. Yes. Uh, in in the book, he is described as the enigmatic Mister Smiles. <laughs> so so what what is going on with him? Like like clearly he is has been overtaken by the entities. Overtaken is probably not how he would describe it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they the entities have their own philosophy of what they're doing. And I would say that they don't consider themselves evil. And I would say that they don't consider themselves demonically possessing so much as giving you a really good deal that you're going to benefit from. And why are you even complaining? Because you're not even going to mind in a couple minutes. Think of it like that. So he's, uh, he is enigmatic. He used to be different. Uh, he used to be, uh, gosh, it's so hard to talk about without spoiling too much, but he is now one being, but he wasn't always one being, is how I would pr- probably describe it. Julian is his first name, but he wasn't always Mr. Smiles. So Julian used to be a regular man, and he became Mr. Smiles after meeting some interesting characters. So that's uh, so the comic is going to focus on him and his journey to the other happy place and what happens when he gets there. Um, but uh, he, he also has a curious quality, but not because he has an innate desire for, you know, understanding the universe. He's trying to solve and fix problems. And um, that would probably be his ultimate downfall. He thinks that he can fix everything and uh, it's a very big problem. And he's, he's the kind of person who, when he is in over his head, will keep digging and digging and digging. I call him the prince on a white horse who failed and can't be saved. I really love Julian. <laughs> wow, that, he is that. That does that is an enigmatic character, a very yeah. apt descriptor. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, we need to move on to okay. questions from our listeners. Uh, if you yes, if you would like to ask a question. 
here during our interview on War Rocket Ajax, you can do that uh, by waiting until Thursday nights at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 6.30 Pacific. And uh, we will put out the call for questions for our guests. And you will see that call both on the bad website Twitter that is getting <laughs> worse by the day. It. It's my home and I hate it. Yeah, that's how we all feel, I think. <laughs> uh, you could either do it there or you could do it on our Discord, uh, which is uh, a great place that you can ask us for an invitation f- for and not have to be on the bad, bad website anymore, uh, at least to ask these questions. Yeah, here's some questions for you, Jesse. Uh, okay. This is from uh, our buddy Ben, Franz Ferdinand II. Uh, ben wants to know which Stuart Gordon movie would be easiest to adapt into an ongoing comic series. Are you a Stuart Gordon fan, Jesse? Oh my goodness. What a lovely question. Of course I'm a Stuart Gordon fan. I'm going to just, I'm going to double check one thing because I don't okay. want to be wrong. I would be really upset if I said the wrong movie and I would be offended at myself uh, <laughs> because see the question, you're, the question is ongoing, right? So like if you yes. did a one and done, quite a lot of his movies are good, like one and done, like uh, the, the, from beyond would have it has legs uh, uh oh gosh uh, yes i would say from beyond or reanimator from beyond is my favorite 80s film it is so deeply weird it is covered in wet puppets it is gooey it is horny it is violent it is nonsensical there are devices that turn on and show you purple eels that float through the air and then they bite you it's great <laughs> i would uh, just say from beyond for anything that's how, that's how all, yeah. all the answer is from beyond. I also like Dagon, but it's not a good movie. It's not his best film. I, <laughs> but it has I mermaids. Mean, so. That's right. I, yeah. I feel like Reanimator has proven itself to be a story and character uh, with with real legs that can continue forever and ever. So forever and ever. I mean, even if it dies, you can just inject it with that green goo, and it'll come back. <laughs> like Doctor Herbert West is always. There's always a story in him. He's just so funny. He's so yeah. weird. He's so yes. deeply weird and so deeply uninterested in any like normal human conventions of behavior. He's like, I am busy. I have to make the dead come back to life. Why do I have to care about my roommate's girlfriend? Ugh. Like he's like he's such <laughs> a wacko. I love him. He's so funny. Yeah. Uh, Kate Bishop, real name from our Discord, wants okay. to know what's your favorite dinosaur. My favorite dinosaur. Is a Leoplerodon a dinosaur? If if you want it to be. I feel like I always feel like this is a, a fate like a, I always feel like it's a trick answer. Like there's like there always somebody's always be like, that's not a dinosaur, that's a uh, some sort of lizard and you're an idiot. And I'll be like, don't frick. Um, I like little pleurodons because they look like a Pokemon and they look like the Loch Ness monster. That's that's my answer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I it, look if you categorize it as a dinosaur to me, that's a dinosaur. It's big as scaly. Or has a neck. I don't know. <laughs> it's fine. D- decided. Leoplerodon. Leoplerodon. Uh, Settle chaos from uh, Twitter wants to know what makes you feel happy right now. Makes me feel happy right now. Um, well, I'm really happy that some really awful person might be getting arrested. Um, <laughs> that's cool. Uh, that'll be interesting. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm really the, happy. Anybody listening to this episode in a few months knows exactly the day it was recorded. No. <laughs> no I just dated it. Sorry. Um, <laughs> what makes me really happy right now? Uh, 
pistachio ice cream, uh, my my parrot Ivan. Um, I really am excited that Guillermo del Toro is adapting Frankenstein because that's like my favorite novel and he's my favorite movie director and I think it'll be super freaking good. Um, gosh, a lot of things are making me happy right now. I'm really happy the campaign's going well. I'm really excited because this summer um, my publisher Iron Circus is flying me out to two different conferences. I've never been flown out to a conference before. I feel so fancy. That's making me pretty happy. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's what I'm happy about right now. Oh, and my brother's about to have a baby. I've never been an aunt before. I'm going to be an auntie. So that'll be very exciting. Yeah. Lots of happy things are happening. Mazel tov. That's, that's so many nice things to be happy about. It's like everything all at once. When it rains, it pours. I, I, I've been having a really bad couple of years. Like the past three years have been really hard on me. So it's really nice to have a streak of good luck. (laughs) Like I'm just, I'm so I, that makes me happy that yeah. you you are having some good luck now. Yeah. Um, Stone Cold HCC, an account that exists only to ask questions on War Rocket Ajax. Okay. Wants to know this, Jesse. Eight the scariest things about skeletons that there's one living inside you. Yes, but if you think about it, the skeleton is the ultimate being to become in the afterlife because ghosts are sad. They're always like, I have unfulfilled things i miss my wife uh, but a skeleton they always show up happy they're always playing like xylophone on their bones and they're like yeah. they have swords and they're like changing heads around i think the skeleton is the ultimate afterlife goal i think that's what i want to be when i die is a skeleton skeletons in everything are always having a great they're time. having a great time i've never seen yeah. a bummed out skeleton ever they're, they're naturally smiling Here's a question from uh, Hot Spring Summer on Twitter. Any big tips y'all wish you knew before launching a Zoop campaign in 2023? Anything you, I wish Do you have I any Zoop tips? Oh, Zoop tips. That's an interesting question. Um, I guess this is my first time doing a crowdfund where, like, when I crowdfunded before with Iron Circus, it was a little more hands-off. That was, like, their, their purview. So, yeah. like, I guess be, like, ready to do... Uh, like podcasts and, and fill out um, um, uh, uh, like little interviews. Cause I w- I'm not used to talk. Like <laughs> I've been really rambly this whole time. I feel a little bad about that. It's, it's a little, I'm not used to audibly talking about my work. So maybe just practice in front of the mirror, talking about your project a little bit. <laughs> so that when it happens, you don't feel so nervous. That would probably be my biggest thing. Just, just like be good at saying what the thing is in one sentence. That's always helpful. If you can do an elevator pitch, do people still know what an elevator pitch is? Elevator pitch is like a thing you can, you can describe your project in the time it takes for an elevator to get to whatever floor. So it's like, if you could do that, just be like, if you could say briefly what's cool about the project, that helps. Um, It's good to have like a, a set number of like stylish images that you can instantly show. Um, I've been having a lot of fun using CapCut, which is this free digital program for editing video. And it has like, um, it has like stickers and stuff. And I just put in still images and you can add stickers like arrows pointing to it or moving objects on top of it. And it's really, it's pretty fun. And I just send them over to the Zoop guys like, do you want to use this? It might work. And they say yes a lot of the times. <laughs> so, um, uh, I, I I would say just don't be scared to dive in. I, I hesitated too long. I, I was I was so worried I was gonna mess it all up. Just be brave and just bite the bullet and do it. That's that's how I feel about it. That's not a tip, yeah. is it? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> no, that that's a that's a great tip because okay. I feel like so many creative people are just aspiring to do a thing instead of doing a thing. 
And and the, it's way better to just do the thing. The feeling, even if you don't feel like you're ready. The dread of not doing the thing is so much worse than any little of doing it like that's what I've noticed every time is like my brain always builds up something to be scarier to do than it is so it's like once you start don't underestimate the power of momentum it's like oh I've decided that's kind of like with the other happy places it's like I'm making a cosmic horror story I've decided I'm starting so like dive in like don't be afraid to, to contact them if you have questions they're super nice you can call them and be like I don't know I would say dive in and do it don't be afraid to ask questions. Those are my two big, my two big advice. I think that's all really good advice. I clearly my advice is not as helpful as it might be uh, for compared to some. But <laughs> but here, my advice would be this: study up every aspect of the thing that your book is about. Because mm. I went on a podcast where. When I got on with the guys, the hosts were very nice. They let me know that they were going to be quizzing me with trivia about apes in comics. What? And I should have done so much better on that trivia than I did. What a weird... What? Thank you for well, not there's a, bringing there's, weird ape-related questions. There's an ape in my book, or a guy <laughs> dressed as an ape. Yeah, but even if you were like, Jesse, ten, top 10 facts about centipedes, I'd be like, duh, they, they have 20, <laughs> 21 segments, uh, they, they're carnivores, uh, they raise their babies. Uh, like, you know, I well, would be panicking. I, I'd be panicking. Well, I, I am a trivia nerd. Ah. And so when they said this to me, I was like, I saw this as a challenge. I was like ready to go. And then they hit me with the questions, and I'm like blanking out on stuff I should have known. And oh, no. uh, it went so much worse than it should have. I, di- oh. I did do off horribly, but I did worse than I should have. Um, all right. We'll, we'll do one more question. I sure. think we only have time for one more, unfortunately. Right, one more. Let's but do it. This is from PredatorGirl613 on Twitter, who wants to know, how did you manage to make Mr. Smiles both terrifying and attractive? So literally just leaning into my own personal feelings, I was like um, – so I, I've joked about it. I'm not telling who Mr. Smiles is visually based on. No one has ever actually guessed. He is visually inspired by one particular niche celebrity. I said, <laughs> if I reach 100,000 followers, I will tell who it is, and then everybody will understand why he's so sexy. But um, uh, I have always found like monster characters kind of attractive anyway, like Pinhead from Hellraiser, um, like uh, Gashi of the... The fish man from um, <laughs> The Shape of Water. Lots of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Like, even Frankenstein's monster. Like if you look at the Bernie Wrightson book, he has an allure to him. He's he's scary, but he's like beautiful and weird. And um, uh, I, I think a lot about uh, that push and pull again of like wanting to know and not wanting to know. So it's for me the balance is like okay, here's what do I find attractive. So I'll put those elements in, and then I'm like, what would make that unsettling? So um, like one thing is. Mr. Smiles doesn't have a nose. And a lot of people who look at him in profile are like, he should have a nose where his face is cut off. And that's right. He should have a nose or it should be a hole, but his uh, abilities have kind of reformed it or smoothed it out. But I took the nose away because the nose made it human and familiar. And as uh, what I'd like to do is take or add elements until I feel a lurch of confusion. So it's like, uh, and, and, there's a theory that attraction and repulsion are like very intertwined. 
Um, so I think about that a lot too. It's like that there's that the same thing that can give you like a thrill of, of horror can also be like, but what is that? So like he's kind of embodying in a person, the, the concept of the whole thing, right? It's like, this is a beautiful, interesting man who is deeply dangerous and monstrous and alien beyond my understanding. The fact that he doesn't have a brain, you can clearly see his head is hollow from certain angles. He shouldn't be alive. Why is he able to do this? And that makes you want to know more about him. Like, to me anyway, I, I, I'm like, how are you able to walk and talk and breathe? You have no head. So it's like, you just kind of, that's, uh, anyway, that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Also, he's in great shape. Yeah, he is in great shape, and the 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 I would say that the entities like to pair up with humans that they find beautiful. So he was picked, <laughs> yeah, at least partially for his looks. I would say that's at least why he's partially handsome. Yeah, yeah. To, with the entity, it's good to know that with the entities, he still works out. Oh yeah, you gotta you gotta take care of yourself. But he also enjoys his physicality. There's yeah. I, it's so annoying. I really want to talk more about the story, but it's hard in cosmic horror. You can't reveal all these things, right? But the <laughs> entities, the entities deeply enjoy having human bodies, and they like they like being able to eat food. They like to be able to kiss. They love music. They like to be able to dance, and so like they enjoy these physicality things, like working out or eating something. Is like it, to them, it's this luxury. It's like being in heaven. So like, yeah, the, he likes working out because it's this physical sensation he had not gotten to feel before. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think you would have an answer for that. I was kind of joking, but I'm oh, so I, glad you did. I think about it. I like, I, like I, I take my characters really seriously. I try to think about like, what do they like to eat? What are the music they listen to? What are their clothes? What do they do when they're bored? What are they doing? They're sad. Like I, I want them to feel, even if you don't see all those aspects, I want you to feel like they're there. So it's like, if yeah. he if he's strong, does he have a reason? Yes, he does have a reason. If he's beautiful, does he have a reason? Yes, he has a narrative reason that he's beautiful. Like, is it, I think about it. I, I want it. My goal is for everything to feel so nicely locked together that when you're experiencing it, you feel like the world exists. That's what I really want. Yeah. Well, I think you have achieved that. And Thank you. Uh, that's going to wrap us up. Uh, Jesse, Sharon, thank you so much for coming on. Thank War you Rocket for having Ajax. me. Before uh, we let you go, okay. please let our listeners know where they can follow you, where they can find your work, and how they can back uh, the other happy place. So right now, the best ways to do that are you can follow me on Twitter, which is my handle at, at other happy place. You, uh, you also have me on there as Jesse Sharon. You can follow that too, but my horror stuff is all at other happy place. I'm also on Tumblr at the other happy place.com Um, I'm also, I literally just got the domain today, uh, the other happy place.com. So keep an eye out for that. I was so happy. I was like, it's available. The exact words. I was really excited. So I grabbed that right away. I'm literally building a homepage. Cause I'm like, I can't put all my eggs in these baskets. I don't own, you know, it's like, if Twitter goes away, if TikTok goes away, if, if Tumblr goes away, then what do I have? So I'm building a home base. So theotherhappyplace.com will be the place to find everything. But the best place right now to support me and the project is to support the book on Zoop. So please uh, get a copy. You can get a digital copy. You can get a physical copy. Um, I have stickers, which I'm super, super stoked about. Uh, and, um, it's also I also have art prints. And uh, if we reach certain goals, we're going to have uh, hopefully enamel pins. But the next goal is bookmarks for all physical backers. So that's really, I'm excited for that one. Yeah. There's 
so much stuff over there on the Zoop. Go yeah. check it out. Go back it. Give Jesse the Ajax bump. And, <laughs> and now is now is a great time, Jesse. You were absolutely right to set up a website because now yes. is the time it's, to do now it. Now is the time. That's another good advice for everybody listening. Just make your homepage today, this week. Don't put it off. We we don't know what's going to happen. So just grab your life by the reins and just bite, bite down and make a website. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Jesse, thank you so much. It has been a delight to talk it's to you. It's a delight to talk to you. Thanks once again to Jesse Sharon for being our guest this week on War Rocket Ajax. This was a little bit of an unusual episode with Chris not feeling well, but I thought that was a great interview, and everyone listening to this should go check out and support the other Happy Place Chapter Zero on Zoop. It looks so cool. And uh, if you're into weird horror like I am, it definitely will be something you should be interested in, because I sure am. That's going to wrap up this episode. If you want to email us here at War Rocket Ajax, you can do that at our email address, which is warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. It's where you can send Every Story Ever lists or Thursday Night Raw entries, or if you want to sponsor the show, you can let us know there, or just drop us a line about any old other thing. You can do that there. Our Tumblr is warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. You can send us listener questions there. We're on Twitter, the bad website, which gets worse and worse every day, at warrocketpod. And we have a Discord, but you have to be invited to be a part of it. So if you would like an invitation to the Discord, hit us up on one of the places I just mentioned, and we will get you an invitation. Our website is warrocketajax.com. It has every episode of the show we've ever done. WarRocketWiki.com is the place to get all the information you could ever want about War Rocket Ajax, our various lists, notable episodes, info about me and Chris and Matt Fraction and my cat Harrison. All that stuff is over there at WarRocketWiki. If you want to find me and my stuff, you can go to MattDWilson.net to find links to the books I've written, the comics I've written, my other podcasts, and my social medias. My, my Zoop project, Imposter Syndicate, Issues 1 and 2. We'll be going there for a few more days, about 10 more days. The link is there at the top of mattdwilson.net, so go check that out. You can find Chris at the-isb.com. That is his homepage. And I think that's everything, folks. Thanks for sticking with me through this episode. It is always strange to sit in a room and talk to myself into a microphone. So thanks again uh, for being here and uh, hanging through this with me. We'll be back next week, Chris and I, probably doing some Thursday Night Raw, I would guess. So come check that out. Before I wrap up, let me say the things we always say. Black Lives Matter. Trans rights are human rights, as are abortion rights. Drag is not a crime, and cops are not your friends. But we love you. Yeah!